exactly how he, when he first called them, what he's doing in that is he restores them back to what he first called them to. And then he goes into the whole dialogue with Peter and restoring Peter. And at the very end of all of that, the very end of John 21, what he says at the very end to Peter is, follow me. And it's just going back, and he said there, follow me, and you guys are gonna, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. That's part of the things that when we come to Jesus Christ, he's going to make us fishers of men. I think it's very important to understand that he's the one that's going to make us that, right? And it's almost like a relief because it's like, good, I don't have to try to make this up or, or figure out how hard I'm going to go at this or, or get all the right answers and be fully prepared for what I'm going to go into. It's that Jesus is the one that's going to make us into that fishers of men. So don't be brought down by that. That's such a heavy load. I can't go out and tell people. I mean, do you know how scary that is? I could lose my job. I could lose so many things in my life. And so it's, I can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have to walk away from this one. But again, like what Paul says in necessity, look at Mark 16, 15. This is what Jesus ends up saying to his disciples and those around him as they're watching him as sin. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to Every creature, right? You should be so excited about what Jesus Christ has done in your lives that you have this love that just compels you to go out and share to every creature. Now, I mean, that's one of those things that... Sorry, there's a bug. <laughs> that's one of those things you get up in the mountains and you're just there glorifying God and you're, you're so excited about what was happening. Did I flick it right at you guys? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to go that way. But one of those things where you're just excited and, and you just can't even hold it back. That You just want to preach it to every creature because of what Jesus has done in your own lives. I mean, do you guys remember when you first came to Jesus? It was an exciting time, right? You were ready to go tell whoever. And everybody was like, oh, great, another crazy. <laughs> Somebody else that's not, you know, thinking right or, or believing real thoughts. Now they're off in this other dimension. It's a, you know, a lot of people bring them down, but it's so cool to see a person that has just came to Jesus, come to Jesus because they know what's just happened to them. They know that transformation that's happened to them. They know that love that's been poured out on them. They know that all the sins that they've done, everything that they did wrong is completely washed away in Jesus Christ. And so how could they not tell somebody else about that? And you just had this huge mass lift off you and you're not going to tell anybody. But the thing is, we get complacent as we walk down this road with Jesus, and it gets easier and easier to walk away from that excitement and, and remembering what it was like not to have him before. Because we have so many years that are with him, and it's an exciting time. But it's so good to have that difference there to show us, wow, this is something exciting. I want to share it. And sometimes we need those reminders. Over in Romans 1, if you guys want to turn there for, with me, Romans chapter 1. It's another place where Paul is actually talking to the Romans and he's given us a little bit of insight and he speaks of his obligation to the people to share the gospel. Just showing more of this necessity. And it depends on what version you guys have. The New King James Version will say a little bit different. I like how the ESV does, but I don't have the ESV with me all. It just has one difference in the word. But let's look at uh, chapter 1, 13 through 17. It says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have, have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in, is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are, also, who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And what an awesome thing, right? He's just talking about it. I'm not ashamed of it. 
and I'll still, we'll see Paul later on, he actually has to ask for boldness in speaking it, because Paul even had a hard time. It's, it's, an, it's an okay thing to have, but the, the verse that I'm looking at is 14, and it says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks. Well, in the ESV, it says I'm obligated. And it's the same kind of thing. If you're a debtor, you owe something, right? So this is an obligation. This is one of those things we have this obligation that we're out there and we're telling people about Jesus Christ. And so it's a necessity in our lives to walk in this. Now, the next one is, is woe is to me if I don't preach. And there's a lot of people that love to use this part of the scripture to bring condemnation onto people that are not out sharing the gospel. And I want to tell you guys, that's a wrong way to go. It's a wrong way to go. And what ends up happening is that it's a sadness that comes on upon the people and this condemnation comes down on them. But you guys know Romans 1.8 says what? There's, n- there's now no condemnation in I'm going to read off here, to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? There's therefore now a condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that's not the way that Jesus works. Sorry, I didn't flick that one as far. Um, I'm all over the, the podium, these bugs. So you have that, and there's no condemnation. So don't believe that what it's saying here is woe, because some people, what they'll translate this woe is, is that punishment is coming, or, or what's going to happen is that you're going to have judgment come upon you. That's what they'll take this word woe. When you look up woe, all it is is it's a great sorrow or distress. That's what a woe is. Great sorrow or distress. Now, honestly, that will come upon you. It may have come upon you guys when you know that you're in a spot, and you know the Holy Spirit's like, tell them. They need to hear Jesus right now. They need to hear about him, and we completely, we get this fear that comes over us. And we walk away from that opportunity, and it's one of those things we have great sorrow because we didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. It's not saying we're condemned. It's not saying you're going to be judged for that. And here's another scripture that people will take you to to try to prove that, hey, you better get on the ball because you're in big trouble if you're not going to tell people about Jesus. Over in Ezekiel, if you guys turn over there with me. Ezekiel, chapter 33. This is one of those places, too, that in my past that I've gone through these scriptures and I came down after reading this, and it was one of those places where I felt so condemned, so scared because of what I thought was on my hands. I thought this blood was on my hands on everybody else that I hadn't told about Jesus. And that's where they take you in these scriptures. So watch what happens here. Is Ezekiel spoken to by the Lord, and the Lord tells him certain things that he wants to do. And this is talking about the watchman. So in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take the man from their their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. In verse 5, he who heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. Okay, so that's the watchman given and, and saying, hey, the enemy's coming. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away, or takes any person from among them, he is taken away in iniquity, but his blood will be required at the watchman's hand. Right? That's where people will be like, oh, right there. <laughs> it's on your hand if you don't tell people about Jesus Christ. And it's not at all that way. You have to look at the context of what's being spoken here, and I'll give you the context right now. It's going to be in verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth, 
and warn them for me. See, it's a direct thing that Jesus, or God is talking right to Ezekiel about what he's doing, and he says this is to warn Israel. And then he goes on and talks about you know, making sure that you're saying to the wicked what's going to happen. If he doesn't turn from his way, well, it's on his hands. If you don't tell him, it's going to be on your hands. And it goes on through the rest of that scripture. And the thing is, the people will be like, right there, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to tell people about the word or else their blood is going to be on your hands. And when we look at the, what's going on here in this context of what's happening here, verse 7 makes it very clear that it's a thing between him and God, Ezekiel and God, and God is telling Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do as a watchman to who? To Israel, right? But I know, it's, I know some of you guys that know the scriptures, right away you're going over to wait about Paul. Because Paul mentioned some of these verses too about blood being on his hands, didn't he? And so we look over, and I think what was happening was Paul was going back on these scriptures and, and he was looking at this. So does this directly apply to us? Well, we would go to the New Testament, and that's usually where we get a ver- verification that, yes, oh, this is definitely for us. So Acts 18.6. Acts 18.6 says, But when they oppressed him and blasphemed, this is talking about what uh, the Jewish people did to Paul. Okay? This is some of the, the leadership there, the religious leaders. And this is what they did. And he says, uh, He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And what this is, this is Paul referring right back to what they already knew in the Scriptures because they knew that whole part of Ezekiel, didn't they? This is talking about these, these leaders there. And so when Paul's saying that right there, when he's going right back on them and saying, look, your, hand, your blood is on your own hands, you know that right in their head they're going back to the watchman. And so Paul was just telling them, I was being a watchman to you guys. I was telling you what was the impending doom coming upon you, and you guys still are going the way you're going. So I'm shaking it off, the dust off my feet, and I'm going to go over to the Gentiles now. Another place we see it is in Acts 20, just a chapter away from there. In Acts 20, in verse 26 and 27, it says, Therefore I testify to, this, uh, you, or to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And what it's talking about with Paul is that he's, he's completely clean. He has done it. And when you guys go into the context of chapter 20, it's talking about the false prophets and these guys that are coming in and trying to say different words and different ways of, of this is what salvation looks like. So yeah, it's Jesus, but also you got to add in some works with it. And Paul is coming in there, and he's defending, and he's going against that, and he's trying to explain to them, look, I am completely clean, because the thing is, I came in and I gave you exactly what God told me to give you. So I'm not going to be held guilty for bringing in my own stuff, my own opinion, any of that. It is absolutely the Word of God, and that's why in verse 27, says, for I am not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's one of the things that's Calvary Chapel that we really love this verse. This is one of those that's uh, um, inspired Chuck Smith to really take the direction of teaching verse by verse through the Bible because Chuck Smith wanted to say to the congregation, look guys, my hands are clean. I have not failed to teach you guys the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. And I don't remember how many times he went through it in his life. It was something 11 or 12 times, I'm not sure, that he went through the whole scripture with his church. Maybe even more than that. But it's one of those things that's awesome. And we see that yes, now, what example can we take from that, though? Do we just leave that there and say, oh, that doesn't apply to us at all? Absolutely not, because we know the scriptures, they also can speak to us as we go through them. And it is a very serious thing. This word that God's given us, it's a very serious thing that we go out and we tell people about what he's done in our lives. And not just in our lives as a testimony, but what he wants to do for them, because he purchased them, right? He purchased them. Now, who are we to hold back this awesome information from those people? We are putting ourselves in a place of, what, what's, what are you doing? Why would you hold that back from them? 
When you have such awesome, pure news, why would you hold that back from them? You know, there's a, I don't know if you guys have seen some of those videos. Of course, there's a ton of them. There's these two videos of these guys that almost get hit by trains, okay? One of them, he's just watching this other train come out of this tunnel. It's beautiful scenery. It's over a mountain and everything. And then the, the cameraman goes back over here, and this guy in a hat and some uh, suspenders is standing here looking at this train coming this way. And <laughs> this train's coming right up behind him, right? And he's right on the edge of the tracks. And here comes this train, and all of a sudden, last minute, he turns around and jumps and goes and sits down. Well, the cameraman, you don't hear a single word out of this cameraman. He's just filming the whole thing. It's like, what? <laughs> he didn't, you, what, you're going to yell? I mean, maybe it was too loud, and maybe he did a hand signal, you know, tell the guy, like, look out, what are you doing? But there wasn't anybody else audibly that I could hear in this video where they're like, get out of the way, you're going to get hit, and it was very close. There's another one where they're watching a steam engine and the same kind of deal with this guy standing out right next to the tracks. This is over in Europe somewhere because this train comes whipping by. But he's watching the steam engine go by and not a person even says anything to this guy. There's a bunch of cameras out there and everybody's looking at him and uh, they did it in slow motion and that train was about that far away from him and it had to at least be going 60 miles an hour. It was a scary scene. Totally okay, survive. But it's one of those things that here's this impending doom coming upon them and here the guy is with the camera like, Oh, I'm going to get a lot of views. <laughs> Some sick like that. And it actually is one of those things you're like, wow, we'd look at that guy and be like, what a sick person that would rather watch that destruction happen than to warn them of what's going to happen. And it's such a simple thing. It's a voice. And whether that person wants to believe it or not, that there's a train coming behind him about to kill him, that's up to them. That person's just a messenger to tell him, hey, idiot, get out of the way. <laughs> Move. What are you doing? And there's so many things even like that nowadays, and I know some of you younger people have been watching and, and some of the videos that you watch, you have these fights that happen at school or, or these fights at other places, and you, you look at all these sick people around them with their cameras, and they're just laughing, and then the person gets knocked out, and so they go over there and film their face, and, and it's just like, what is happening? What's going on? It, it, it's, it's almost like it's not a reality anymore when you're standing behind that camera. And it's a sad thing that these people were even letting that happen. And we could all day long say, that's sick. How could you just stand there and let somebody get beat up and, and then go post it somewhere? And that's what your duty is. And not say a word, not step in, not do anything about it. But then I would challenge is the same thing happening with us. And that's what I think we can take from those scriptures is that are we being a person that does have that truth, can give that truth to other people, but yet we stand there with a video camera because we're just watching Not that it's entertaining to us, it's that we're consumed by something else. Either we're consumed by fear we're consumed about our reputation. We're consumed about not having the right answer, so that would be pride. And it's those things we really do need to check because this isn't somebody's life. Their eternal life is at stake. And now we know God is sovereign, and God will go to that person sometime in their life. That's how God works. But you have an opportunity for him to use you in that moment. And what an awesome thing, because when somebody comes to the Lord and you guys get to lead them, how exciting is that? I mean, have you guys had that happen? Get to lead somebody to the Lord? It's such a neat thing to see them snatched right out of the fire. Where they get to come to Jesus and you see them, this joy, and they're, they're pouring with tears maybe, or they just finally understand, wow, this is what this purpose of this life is all about, is to be after him, is to be consumed by him. So like those examples, guys, be careful that we don't just keep silent and we just keep on filming. filming. Now the last one is we are entrusted with a stewardship. We're entrusted with a stewardship. 1 Corinthians 9.17 again, just to look at it. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. So it doesn't matter if against your will, guys. 
It doesn't matter if it's against your will. You've been entrusted with a stewardship. Let's go over to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14, starting there. And you guys have heard this, the parable of the talents, right? This is right after Jesus gives the whole example of what's going to happen. And the disciples come to him, they ask him what's going to happen in the end times. Jesus goes through the whole deal in chapter 24. So Jesus is talking about the impending doom coming upon the earth, the, ju- the judgment that's coming to all people, right? Then the next chapter, he gives some examples. He goes through the, the, the foolish virgins that aren't ready for him to come back, and then he goes through the talents, which is another one that is not ready when the master comes back home. So let's go ahead and read through this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far, a far country who has called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents, two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents and said, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your, of your Lord. In verse 22, He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then in 24, then he said to him, he, then he, he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from me, from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who he will have uh, abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and, and cast an unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty serious parable. What he's talking about, and this is, this is a parable that's been translated into your gifts and how you're using your gifts. It's been translated in all kinds of different ways of what God's given you and how are you doing what he wants to do and are you multiplying with what he's given you. And one of those things that we look at is an eternal deal because if we go through this earth, we don't want to look on the physical. We don't want to just look at the stuff that's going to be destroyed and taken away, but we look on what's eternal. And one of the only things that's internal, and we can even look in this room, would be the other people sitting next to us, Right? Souls are the only thing that's internal. So is that investment going to be placed into those things? Now, God's already given what's needed to be there. Like what it says, Jesus will make us fishers of men. Now are we using that? Or is it one of those things we've been consumed by fear, we've let the enemy come in and just bury it to where it's not going to have any production in life? And so when we go through the, that parable, it's kind of a scary thing. because It's like, wow, Lord, I want to be doing what you asked me to. And I love it the very first, because what does he say? He says, I gave to them according to his own ability, right? 
So the other thing to take from this is not to look at each other and say, well, yeah, that person, of course, they're going to do that because that's what God's gifted them in. So that's their job as part of the church. But that's not what the scriptures are talking about. It gives to each one of us the ability that God knows is in us. Each one of us is responsible for what he's given us. It's not, don't look at somebody else and see how successful or unsuccessful they are, but we look at our own lives and what are we doing with what he's given us. You know, we don't want to be doing stuff that isn't what he's called us to. Now, Ephesians 2, chapter 10, I love this scripture. This is right after he talks about, you know, what salvation comes through. It's through grace. It's not through your works. And at the very end, that's 8 and 9 that talks about that. And then you come to verse 10 and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those of us that have come to Jesus Christ and are in him were made for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it's already set up for us, guys. It's already set up. God sets these things up. I mean, you guys can think about the different situations that have happened when you work, with your family. Wherever it is, you guys have opportunities, don't you? Because you have to remember that God loves these people so much. Enough to send his son, right? He is deeply in love. He paid a huge price for people that don't know him. And all we have to do is be that messenger and go deliver that message to them. It's an awesome thing that we get to do. What a privilege that we get to do that for him. Now, here's some of the things that end up happening as we go through this life and we want to come up with some different excuses, or, or maybe they're not even excuses, they're just some of like what I keep saying, those fears that happen to us. You know, one of the things is that I'm not called to be an evangelist. I've heard that many times. That's not my calling, so I'm not going to go and do that. Well, over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul is encouraging Timothy in that chapter. And see, Timothy wasn't called to be that as well. But Paul still asked him, hey, to remember, you need to go through these things, you need to do these things, and you need to do the work of an evangelist. He doesn't say, you are an evangelist, so do the, do the evangelist work. He says, do the work of an evangelist. And it's one of those things that each one of us, that's what we're supposed to be doing. If not, you guys can go right back to what we talked about with Matthew and where he says, right, that he's called us to go and preach to all, every creature. That's talking to us. The next one is, is that, well, here's the deal, is that I don't believe in going out and saying anything vocally to people. Instead, what I do is I share with them through how I live. And so you guys have probably heard this saying, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Whew, that's comfortable. I like that. Because <laughs> if I don't have to say anything, they're not going to say anything to me. Maybe they'll question me every once in a while, you know, like, hey, why aren't you smoking? Why aren't you cussing? Why aren't you doing these other things that I see all these other people doing? And what's different about you? Which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. That's part of living it out. But if you guys look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. This is when Paul's talking about, you know, right after we talked about where he's serving all men, uh, he's doing everything he can to, to bring them to the gospel. And then he starts talking about running the race and run as you obtain and don't be an empty wind. Come to verse 26. Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. And in verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now here's the thing is that when people want to use that and, and say that it's only through my uh, works that I'll show people, I'll, I'll show them through my life how I'm living out my life. Well, the thing in this scripture is, yes, that's an important thing, isn't it? But it still talks about Paul, and what is he doing there? He's still preaching the gospel, isn't he? 
But he's preaching the gospel and he's living in that way that people want to say that's how they preach. He's living in that way so that his gospel will not be ruined. And what I mean by that is we go up and we tell people, Jesus Christ has changed my life. Praise God. You should see the things he's done. He's taken me from all these other things that I was into. He's taken me from you know, drugs and alcohol. And he's taken me from being all about myself. He's, he's taken me from consumption where I had to just buy everything. He's taken me from all these things. He's rescued me. And we get to share that with somebody and talk about how Jesus is working. And then we invite them to come over to hang out at our house. And the next thing you know, it's like, <laughs> you're totally looking like the world when you're over there. You're doing all this stuff that you said you've been set free from. And the whole thing is, is that what does it say there? It's been disqualified. And so it's talking mainly about being that hypocrite. But the deal is, is that we don't just go around saying, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to perform through those actions. Rather, it's, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus Christ and by my actions, they're going to see it's the true deal. They're going to see it. Another one is that we're just scared. We're straight up scared about doing this. And I think every one of us could raise our hands in, in the room. As I know, every time the Lord is asking me to do something like that, I am terrified. Even, uh, you guys know who Ray Comfort is, right? Yeah? You guys have maybe seen his videos and what he talks about. Usually when he goes out and he does uh, evangelism in Huntington Beach, he does it in some big areas. He's kind of the preacher that gets up on the box and tells people about Jesus. And he, he brings the Ten Commandments in. Uh, he, he asks people, you know, are you a liar? And, and they say, yes. Have you ever stolen anything? Yes. Have you ever lusted? Yes. And then he tells them, okay, you're lying, thieving, you know, and he shows them through the law that, yes, they've broken the law, so they're accountable to that. He has a whole process that he goes through. Watching an interview with this guy, he says that he's scared every time he has to go out. He's like, why does God call me out to these places? <laughs> he's like, honestly, I don't want to go. That's very comfort, guys. This is a guy that does it all the time. He is an evangelist, and it still is a hard thing for him. So it's not one of those things that we can say, well, you know what? It's too, it's too scary for me. I'm just not there yet. My maturity is not there in Christ yet, or, or whatever the excuse is. The thing is, we look over in Ephesians 6, and I love these examples that God gives us through the Scriptures, because it shows that, you know what, that's one of the things that's going to happen. But how do we counter that fear? How do we counter it? In Ephesians 6. And these are some of the things, like we went through the first part, and I wanted to show you guys that, yes, this is a necessity, this is something that we should not do, or we're going to have deep sorrow if we don't share Christ with people, and we need to be stewardships of that. But to end there and leave you guys on that without giving you guys some of the tools to use, I think it would be wrong. We have to go on, we have to see these things. So here's one of these tools. If you guys are afraid of doing it, Ephesians 6, chapter, or verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And what he's doing is he's talking to the church, asking for prayer that he will open up his mouth boldly. This is Paul, guys. This is Paul, somebody that was willing to die. I mean, came close to death for proclaiming Jesus Christ in the gospel. And here he is asking that they would pray that he could be bold in speech. If he's asking for that, what does that mean? That means he has fear in it. He wouldn't be asking them to pray for over that if he didn't have that problem. The next one is over in Acts chapter 4, 29. Man, these bugs are everywhere. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. I may have the wrong one written down here. Let's see here. Yeah, I wrote down the wrong verse, of course. And <laughs> I don't know where it is. 
I want to encourage you, though, if you guys have a question about it, what it is the church in Acts? And they actually, they go into where they ask for boldness as well. The church in Acts was fearful of it. And they asked that if you could pray for something for us, that you would continue to pray that we would have boldness in speaking his word. I can't remember which verse it's in, but I could find it later on. It's probably in my other notes. And then the last one. Here's the last one. Relationship evangelism. Relationship evangelism. Now, here's one I want to be very careful with because I know there's a lot of people that this is the way that they evangelize is they take time to get to know the person so then they can come to that place of sharing Christ with them. And here's the deal. That's great. It is, honestly. That's a good way of evangelizing until you go past the point when you're never going to say anything to them. See, this is the thing about relational evangelism is some people will use this as an excuse of never going into that topic of Jesus. And you can talk to people and you'll say, well, well, how long have you known them? Oh, I've known them for two years. Have you ever shared Christ with them? No. Why? What are you waiting for? Oh, I want to make sure that relationship's established. It's been two years. If it's not established right now, <laughs> I mean, can you call them friend or family? <laughs> it needs to be, if it's going to be established. Here's the other thing that I want to encourage you guys. Relationship evangelism is awesome because you do. You get to know the person. There's a lot of examples in the scriptures where Jesus was getting to know different people. And then there was also the example of him just teaching. There's an example of Paul going out and giving the gospel to people he didn't have a relationship with, right? You see that side of it. But the thing is, is when you guys are going to have a relational evangelism with somebody, how could the person not know Jesus if that's where your identity is found? How could the person not know Jesus and that relationship you have with them if you're not invested, if, you're not, if you don't have your identity in Jesus Christ? That's what Paul said, my identity is in Jesus Christ. For me to live is, or is Christ, to die is gain, right? Over in Philippians. So the thing is, in a relational evangelism, that person will get to know Jesus through you because you're absolutely about him. You've put on Jesus. It is Jesus that they will see. And I'm not talking just by an example. By your speech, by your speech, because how could you not talk about Jesus? If he is that big in your life and you're all about him as you say you are, how could that not come out in your conversation with somebody that you do hold dear to your life or even somebody you're trying to get to know? So if you're about relational evangelism, make sure you guys are not letting it just go off and, and let it slowly get to a place where then it becomes very awkward <laughs> to even go into that. Because then it's like three years down the road and it's like, oh, let me tell you about Jesus, by the way. And, you know, you share everything with them, and maybe they come to the Lord, and they're just looking at you like, what about the last three? Why wouldn't you tell me before? Three years? Really? <laughs> you know, and even on that, you're like, oh, that's that woe that comes in, that deep sorrow. Like, Why didn't I share it with them? You know, they're like, I could have died two years ago. <laughs> How would this, you know? So be careful when you guys are going. Now, I'm going to give you guys some different uh, uh, ways of being able to share the gospel, Okay. Some of the places you guys can go, and this is where I want to encourage you guys, go look for these different places to go out and, and ways to get into people's lives and ways to share the gospel. There's tons of them on the internet, okay? You guys can go on YouTube and you guys can look up videos that says, you know, how to share the faith, uh, examples or different ways that, to make conversation. Uh, my friend is very good at it. He was at uh, Durango at, uh, um, what's the name of that, Fort Lewis College, right? It's very, very liberal, liberal arts college. He was on the campus sharing Christ with the other students. And then he'd come up with the cleverest ways to do it. He'd set out this table and he'd put all these pictures on the table and said, here, choose three of them that represent your life right now. 
They pick three of them up, you know, and they have a discussion through each one of those pictures because it was like something about warring, discomfort. I mean, they're all most negative things, but people were applying them to their lives, and he would bring them hope. He'd bring them Jesus and show this is what Jesus is about. This is where your sin has led you, and now Jesus wants to bring you out of that. He has died for you. He's paid a huge price. And that guy, I don't remember how many Christians. It was just, it was all the time I was talking to him. He was my roommate. And he's like, yeah, another person came to the Lord today. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. I wish I was stronger like that. But he has a lot of good ones. Uh, Ray Comfort and uh, Kirk Cameron, guys, they have a lot of awesome videos out there showing of, of how they do it. One of the newest ones that Ray Comfort is doing, and it's a neat video, maybe you've seen it on Facebook, but he takes people a colored, illustrated book that has a bunch of animals and, and different things in the world in it. And he sets it before them, and he says, here, could you go through that book and just tell me what you're seeing in there? You know, is, is there a lot of information in that book? Is there a lot of beautiful colors is there a lot of neat, neat things that are going on there? And then he asked me, he says, do you think that book could be put together by itself? That just by chance that book came together. All those colors, the exact order, the way that everything's written out, all this information that's given on this book. Do you believe that that just fell from the sky from nothing? Let's start with that. It came out of nothing and just appeared like that in that perfect order. And most of the time they're like, that's ridiculous. Of course, all of us would believe, yeah, right. And then he goes into talking about DNA and that science actually says that DNA is the book, the information booklet on how to build a person. It is so extremely deep, we can't even understand it still. It's what tells the person they have a certain character. It tells them what color of the hair they're going to have, the eyes, the build. I mean, all the information for making a human is in DNA, right? And they're finding out more and more about how awesome it is and how deep it is and what's in there, that it's this book that they, they, they actually call it a book. And then they turn and say, that came from nothing, out of nothing, by chance, it just appeared. And Ray Comfort, when he goes through that, and he says, well, how can you guys believe that? But yet this book in your hands you can't believe, which is much simpler than DNA. And you can't believe that that would come into existence. And it really, it's a neat opportunity to get in their lives and to show them and to say, yeah, look at Jesus now. Look at, there is, there's an answer for what you're holding in your hands. There was a designer that made that book. Just like when you look around, there's a designer that made all this. And the thing is, he wants to have a relationship with you, and he loves you. He loves you so much. Another one you guys can go to is Dare to Share. And you guys, that, I, I purposely put that gospel message up here on, by Propaganda is the name of the guy. That's from Dare to Share. And they have a whole system you can go through, and you can... Uh, to evangelize and dare to share is really about having the youth get out and speak. And that's one of the things we're going to be taking our youth through is more on how do we evangelize to those around us. And some of the things are, that this guy comes up with is, is first asking, get to know the person. Just ask what they're about. Where are they at? What do they believe? What's their worldview? Do you have a religion? And then admire them. Oh, yeah, you're Mormon? Oh, man, you guys have such awesome family values. Like your family values, you guys love family. And it's so cool to see that. You're not getting into an argument with them straight up right away, right? But then you go into admitting about how you are and where you are with your sin, and, and it's so good that Jesus was able to come along and save me out of my sin. Do you have that in your religion? You know, and you have a good opportunity, and then gospel, what, that, what propaganda went through, and he, what he does, the, the, the kind of rap talking, I forget what it's called right now, um, to him, it goes through the gospel, and it's God created with us. And what it is, it's just a, it's, it's kind of a, a basis we can go back to to remember on what we're going to tell people about Jesus. So it's God created us to be with him. That's the first thing we go. And then we talk about our sins separate us from God, and sins cannot be removed. Do you guys have that? Yeah, there it is. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds and then praying, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again, and everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. 
And life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. And this is just a way to go through somebody. It's something you can kind of memorize, or they even have an app, of course, for this that has it on there. You can actually hand the person the phone and say, here, would you go through this real quick, the survey? And it goes through and it talks about the gospel message and asks if they want to go further. And the last thing that they do is the, the questions you ask, hey, does this make sense to you as you go through this? And it, you don't have to go verbatim through this, but this is an example, a template to go through. What do you think about this? Is there anything holding you back from coming to Jesus Christ, for putting your trust in Jesus Christ. There are easy ways, guys. If you guys want more information on that, I can definitely go through that with you. And it's one thing that I hope you guys encourage our youth too, because we're going to be going this direction. We want to see the people, the lost people come to the Lord. If the worship band wants to go ahead and come back up, as we just close out and just praise God for what he's done and getting to see these things in our lives, guys. And I want to encourage you guys as we go off and we share people Share Christ with people. Just make sure you guys are talking to them about what it is to come to Jesus, that it's about believing in Him. It's about putting their trust in Him. It's not that they have to come clean before they come to Jesus. It's not a thing that, hey, let me get my sins out of the way, and then I'm going to come to Jesus. You don't tell them, because Jesus died for us while we were sinners, right? What an awesome message of grace that we get to deliver to people. And so praise God for that. So I want to encourage you guys... And just pray for you right now that, you know, the Lord will just light a fire under us, get us excited about what it is to go out and evangelize and tell people about Jesus. It's our stewardship. I don't want to see you guys woe. I don't want to see the sorrow that you guys have if you have an opportunity not to do it. And it's a necessity that we have to do. It's our stewardship, guys. So as we go out, I encourage you guys, talk to each other about it, encourage each other, bring back awesome stories of testimony on Wednesday night or on next Sunday, guys. It would be cool to hear, you guys, what, what God's taking you through this week. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for what you do in our lives. Lord, I, I ask just personally that you would give me that boldness, just like the church prayed and also uh, Paul prayed for, Lord. Um, just as we go out, and even today as we go out to lunch to the different places that we eat at, Lord, you give us that opportunity to share Christ with the person and, you know, even like what they asked Ray Comfort, what is it, what motivates the church? What is there one thing that can motivate the church to get out and evangelize? And like what he said, there is one thing, and after 40 years, I haven't found it. Maybe it's love. And Lord, we just want to ask that you give us that love for people, the love that you had in sending your son. Lord, that when we see that person there with their little booklet and they're taking our order, that we would just have this compelling love to tell them about you and what you've done. For them, Lord. That you would open our eyes to see what you see, Lord, and that we would be able to just look past everything else that's there, Lord, and we would see that soul that needs to come to you. Give us that hunger and that desire, Lord, and just that boldness that we need and those, those answers to the questions that people have, Lord, and take that fear away from us. We just pray. Oh, you're a good God, and we thank you so much for rescuing us and the people that you brought in our lives that were bold enough to talk about you and say what you've done. So, Lord, help us to be those people, too. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.